0: What an amazing celebration, I hope you were able to be a part of it, and the celebration continues. We actually wanted to kick off this morning uh, with sharing a little bit of family news about uh, some things that are happening here in Soul City Church. Many of you know Kurt and Katie Duggleby, they have been a part of this church from the very, very beginning. Uh, They helped start this with us, and they have been in every nook and cranny of what God has done in and through this church, and God is making some shifts in their life and we wanted to invite them to come and share about that today
1: well i wrote this down because i want to make sure i say it right but in the summer of 2009 a tweet caught katie and my attention and we felt incredibly drawn to the vision that would eventually become soul city church never could we have imagined the friendships and the celebrations and the only god moments that have transpired here over the last eight years They have been by far the most transformational leadership experiences of our life. About 18 months ago, Katie and I began wrestling with God about the growing desire in our hearts to move back to be with family in California and the flickering vision to lead a community of faith that was seeming to gain strength in our souls. And so after months of prayer and fasting, listening to God and to each other, at the end of May, I began a conversation with Existence Church in San Diego about becoming its new lead pastor. As Katie and I listened to the Lord, we felt a whisper in our souls again, similar to the one that we'd felt in 2009, saying, there's something for you in this. And so in August, we informed Pastors Gene and Jarrett of our desires and the process that we were in with Existence Church. And after visiting the church in September, they offered me the position, and I decided to accept it as their new lead pastor. So at the end of this year, I'll be stepping out of my role here at Soul City, and Katie and I will be moving with our family, Selah and Layton, Back to San Diego to start our next kingdom assignment. I wanted to tell you that the values that mark Soul City Church, like dependence and team, honesty and leadership development, have marked us and shaped us. Kate and I have been given the tremendous gift over the last eight years of putting our hands to the plow with so many of you to build and to benefit from one of the greatest and healthiest churches that I know. And I'm kind of a church nerd. Uh, <laughs> we have seen God do miracles here. We have seen God revive dead dreams and envision new ones here. We started our family here and you all have become family to us. You have loved us, carried us, encouraged us, healed us and made us better because of who you are. And we are forever grateful for the opportunity to be part of Soul City Church. And to you too, Jeannie and Jarrett, your character, tenacious faith, relentless pursuit of people, and passion for excellence have made, us more, made you more than just leaders to us, but friends and mentors and pastors. And pastors need pastors. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for being leaders worth following. And to you, Soul City, we love you. We ask that you would continue to be all of who you are to love and to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. That's the vision that started this place and it's the vision that continues. We love you. We love you so much.
0: Mm -hmm. We We love these guys like wholehearted love. Um, the kind of love that it hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of love where you walk in the highest of highs with one another and you walk in the lowest of lows with one another. And we have done that. The four of us have done that together and we've done that in this community. And there's not a nook and cranny that Kurt and Katie have not touched in this church. Those commitments that we just read to those families were written by Katie. They have they have gone all in, they have leaned all in, and they have built and blessed this community. And we are so, so deeply, deeply grateful. And, uh, you know, we are happy that they get to go and be by their family in California. And we're sad that they don't get to be with this family here. And so this is both a great gift, and it's also a loss. And so we get to learn how to celebrate and to grieve. And while the mission of Soul City Church uh, that we all started together, and these two were the, m- among the first to put their hands on the plow to say we are all in and we are, we are about this mission, uh, is leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. But the kind of unknown uh, mission that we don't really publicize is we just said in the very beginning, if we could just be about helping people become who God created them to be, that would be enough for us. And these guys have become more and more of who God created them to be. And because of them, we have become more of who God created us to be. And so it is a joy to be able to send them off, even though we grieve, to send them off with love and to send them off with grace. And, and we're going to have lots of time over the coming month to celebrate them and, uh, you know do our proper goodbyes and our crazy Soul City style of love and blessing, because you can't leave this place without without being deeply, deeply loved and marked by it and rethinking your decision on the way out, right? <laughs> so we'll do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to let you all know today.
2: Yeah, and we know uh, that there's been a good bit of change around here. If you've been around Soul City for a while, you know that we're in a new season. This is a new season for us. This space is representative of some of the change that's going on. Uh, in our church and for some folks change can be very very scary and very threatening Um, Kurt and Katie had to really pray and weigh with God what would this change mean for us for our family Um, and you know for those of us who've been with God I'm not sure where you're at in your spiritual journey but if you've been walking with God for a little while uh, you know that transformation doesn't happen without change and that when God's on the move change is not only evident it's inevitable and so for us, this really is, uh, it's, it's holding both things simultaneously. We celebrate and are excited for these guys to be uh, in California with their family. For years now, Kurt has won flip-flops in winter, and it just, as a, I don't know if it's a silent form of protest or just faithfully sowing a seed with God that one day he would be back. So we celebrate with them, and we grieve, too, because we love them. I mean, there's just, as Jeannie already said, and I don't need to say again, from the very beginning. We met these two actually way before we started this church, after a conference that Jeannie taught at, and we got to hear each other's hearts and pray for each other and talk about what would it be like one day if maybe we could work together. So we're so grateful, so grateful. And there'll be time for parties, like Jeannie said, and celebrating. In fact, December 17th, we are going to throw a party, like Jeannie said, that will make them rethink this decision. (laughs) uh, But more than that, feel so loved and blessed and encouraged as they head into this new season for them. What I thought we could do right now is pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to hold hands together uh, as a symbol of being together and of uh, being uh, really for each other and for God. I want to read this passage of Scripture to you that I think really applies well to this moment for Kurt and Katie, for our church. And then I'll pray for us, and then we'll keep moving on. Let's uh, pray together by hearing from God's heart. This says uh, in Colossians 3, these words, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. And God, we do pray that for Kurt and Katie and for uh, their family, that they would be in tune with you and each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your life, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And God, that is our prayer for Kurt and Katie, that they would be in step with you and with each other. That God, they would keep listening to you and keep saying yes to you. And God, that's the same prayer for our lives, for our marriage, for this church, that we would listen to you, God, even when change is inevitable. God, we believe that transformation then is possible because you are moving us into new seasons, making all things new. And so God, help us to hold this deep love and gratitude and celebration and a sadness and the loss of two folks, really four folks who've been so central to the story of this church. And God, we trust them and we trust you. We trust this whole church. Uh, to you. And God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. 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 Will you help us thank them? So I'm going to attempt to give a message now. Um, I appreciate my co-pastor and love of my life believing in me to do this and scheduling me to do the sermon today. So thank you, Jarrett. Um, So my hope and my prayer is that we are actually, when we walk out of these doors, we're not going to be the same church. That we would split ourselves today, November 19th, and we would see ourselves as who Soul City Church was before today and who Soul City Church is after today. So my hope and my prayer is that you're with me. Are you with me today? Yeah. Like an amen, hallelujah kind of with me? All right, good, good. You see, I am trusting God to take us to a whole new place today. My goal for today is that we would never worship the same again. That's my goal for today. That you and I would never worship God the same way again. And as we dive into this, I actually want you to turn to the person next to you and answer this question as we dive into God's word and we dive into the story of David today. I want you to answer this question. What is something that you are passionate about? Okay. What's something that you are distinctly passionate about? You got about 30 seconds. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them something you are passionate about. Alright. I love, I love that question about passion. In fact, whenever I'm meeting new people and I'm starting to get to know them, I love asking them that question. What's something that you're passionate about? Because one of the things that's most fascinating to me is all of the different passions that people have. Have you ever wondered why one person has a passion about one thing and another person has a passion about another thing? We we all carry within us different passions, don't we? And and today, what we're going to do is we are going to dive into what does it look like to actually have a passion for worship. What would it look like in our lives if the root of who we are, if the core of who we are, if all of our other passions grew out of a passion for worship? So I want you to grab the Bible that's in the seat uh, that you're sitting in. It's underneath you. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 6. We're going to continue on in the story of David. You can turn to page 244, and I want to give you a little bit of a recap uh, as to where we were last week. Uh, David, when, when we dove into the story last week, we saw David in a cave, didn't we? Remember, David was in a cave. He was being hunted down by King Saul, who had become this crazy and jealous king. And we saw David at a low point in his life, didn't we? He was at a, at a low point in his life. He was on the run. And I imagine David's future did not look bright to him. You know, when he was looking at his life and he was looking at his present moment and he kind of glanced out onto the horizon of his future, I imagine it did not look very bright to him. But what we see right in front of us, God is never limited to that view. You know, when what we see right in front of us, God is not limited to that view. God sees it all and uses it all. So God knew that David would not stay in a cave and that a crown was actually in his future. But while Saul was hunting David, the Philistine army continued to hunt Saul. And in one battle between the Philistines and Israel, the Philistines actually captured and killed. All of Saul's sons. He had three sons. And the Philistines actually captured his sons, killed his sons, and wounded Saul critically. And between Saul's inner torment and the outer loss of this battle between the Philistines and the battle and the loss of his sons, Saul actually took his own life. It was a tragic, tragic moment. Now David, David didn't know about any of this. He, he wasn't there. Remember, he's still in a cave, right? And David didn't know that any of this occurred. And a messenger came and found him and told David that Saul was dead. And this is quite a moment, right? You, you got to imagine David here. He's now been on the run for years, right? His enemy that was hunting him down has now taken his own life you got to imagine that that David probably felt quite a conflict inside, right? I imagine there was probably a part of him that felt relief, like he could breathe for the first time. But instead of of living it up and celebrating the death of Saul, I love what David chooses to do because it says in in the Word of God that, that David chose to lament and grieve Saul to lament, to actually practice the art of grief. That David grieved the death of his enemy. and He eventually even instructed the people to join in on the lament. And what I love about this is we get to see the character of David forming, don't we? We see who David is, and and over time, moving forward, David did eventually ascend into more authority and leadership. First, he becomes anointed king over Judah, and then he becomes king over Israel, and this man that once lived in caves is now wearing the most important crown in all the land. But what's most important to note about David's leadership ascent is that it actually began with a descent. David's life was not this slow and steady climb. In fact, it was the exact opposite. And those of us in positions of leadership, there is much for us to learn from David's descent into authority. You see, David's life shows us that great height without great depth is very dangerous. To ascend into great heart, great height without great depth is actually very, very dangerous. And you know where David learned the great depth? It was in the cave. It was in the cave. And David was able to rise into healthy power and healthy authority and actually hold the mantle of leadership lightly because of the cave. Because of what God did in the cave, you see, shallow roots in leadership always give others the power to determine who we are as leaders. But deep roots that are most often grown and cultivated in caves is what allows God to grow our character as leaders. And I believe that that is why the people actually began to follow David. Why the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. It was because David never sought the crown. David never sought the crown. David sought God. His passion was for God, and God gave him the crown. And you see that in in a leader's life, don't you? You can tell what they're seeking. And David, he, he becomes this king over Israel. And in one of his most victorious moments as king, they finally defeat their enemy, the Philistines. And David takes back the city of Jerusalem and as a part of his victory celebration, he decides that one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to God's city, back to Jerusalem. Now the Ark of the Covenant was Israel's most sacred possession. How many of you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, then you have an understanding of the Ark of the Covenant. David's journey to get the Ark back was a little bit different than Indiana Jones. Less snakes, thankfully. Uh, But essentially, David wanted to bring the Ark back because the Ark existed as this symbol of God's presence. It was this symbol for the people to remember what God had done, what God was doing, and what they could trust God to do in the future. It didn't have any special magical powers in it. The power was that it represented the presence of God. In fact, here's a picture of the ark so you can kind of see what it looked like. And and the ark was actually meant to be carried by these poles. So, So men would come and they would lift up the ark and they would carry the ark by putting their shoulders underneath these poles. And in David's first attempt to actually bring the ark back to Jerusalem, they came and they chose to not use the poles and instead they put the ark kind of on an ox crate and it started to tip. Over and a guy named Uzzah reached out and touched the ark and literally fell dead. And David was so overwhelmed in this moment that he called off the whole mission. He just said, I, I don't want I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't want to move forward in any way, shape, or form. And we're gonna leave the ark right where it's at. And there was this guy named obed Edom, and David went to him and said, Hey, I I know you don't really know me, but I'm the king of Israel, and I kind of need to leave something in your care here in your house, right? Like, you know, when you move and you don't have enough room on the truck, and you're like, Hey, can I just kind of store something in your basement, you know, or out in your garage, right? So so David goes to uh, Obed, and and he says, Listen, I I need to store something with you. Uh, It's the Ark of the Covenant. Um, can I just leave it here in your basement, kind of like right next to the ping-pong table, right? You know, and you can kind of imagine him saying, be like, oh, and, and don't touch it. You touch it, you're going to die, right? So, so, so David leaves the Ark of the Covenant there, and this is where we pick up in the story today. 2 Samuel 6, 12. Now, King David was told That the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he had because of the ark of God. So David decided to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? What does it say? With rejoicing. So, David makes it clear how they're going to finally carry this ark from Obed-Edom's home back to Jerusalem. That they are going to have this straight praise party the whole way. Now, the distance from where Obed-Edom actually lived and Jerusalem was about five kilometers. So, anybody here ever run a 5K? Yeah, if you run a 5K, that's the distance. And David essentially says that entire distance, we're just going to have ourselves a party. That entire distance, when we carry this ark, it is going to be a praise party. We are going to be rejoicing. It goes on in verse 13, and it says, When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So you got to picture this for a moment, right? They get six steps in right? One, two, three, four, five, six. They're six steps in, and he's like, let's party, right? You know I mean? He's like, bring out the steaks, bring out the grill, pop the champagne, where's the DJ, right? You know, and I mean, everybody's just kind of having a good time. They're partying, and they're like, I think we're supposed to do this, right? But we've only walked six steps. Like, There's not that much to celebrate here. It's not like we've been successful. The last guy died when touching it. You don't know what's going to happen in the next six steps. But David, David is all about the celebration. And what I love about this, I actually love that the Bible tells us that it's only six steps. Because so many of us, we wait till the end of the sentence to praise God. And we wait for a sentence that has exclamation marks in it. We wait for the end of the journey. We wait for the end of the trial to decide if we are actually going to give God glory or not. But David was only six steps in. He was only six steps in. And he decided to give God glory anyways. You know, some of you are only six steps in today. You're in what I call the murky middle. You're in the murky middle. And you are just kind of holding your breath and wondering if God is actually going to be faithful. And I wonder what it would look like if you would be willing to praise God even in the murky middle. Even when you don't know how the story is going to go. So, David is only six steps in and he's throwing a party, and the party gets a little more intensified. Listen to verse 14. It says, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. So, what is a linen ephod? What is David wearing in this moment? I'm glad you asked. Essentially, David was in his undergarments, okay? David stripped down to his undergarments, and he had become totally unaware of anyone else that he got down to his boxers and started dancing and singing and praising God with all of his might. Now, do you think that would make the cover of People magazine the following week? I think so. If somebody was there with their iPhone, you got to imagine that they're like, oh, get a video of this, right? This is going to go viral, right? I mean, David is the king of Israel. You've you got to picture this moment with me. And he is singing and dancing and praising God with all of his might. And I've always been curious why the Bible makes sure that we know what David is wearing in this moment. Like, why does the Bible want to know, why does the Bible want us to know what he is wearing? And I think it's because it shows that David not only worshipped God with all of his might, but he also worshipped with complete abandon. He worshipped with a disregard of how he looked and what others thought. You see, David knew that worship was not about people looking at him. It was about him looking to God. And that's how David brought the ark back into Jerusalem, praising God. It says in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when, he saw, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she what? What does it say? she despised him in her heart. So Michael, you need to know this about her, Michael is not just the daughter of Saul, but she is also the wife of David. Talk about complicated in-laws, right? You think your Thanksgiving might be a little uncomfortable this week? Can you imagine David's for a few years, right? Yeah, I mean, the dinner conversation when David's like, hey, remember that time you tried to kill me, right? You know what I mean, it probably was an awkward family dynamic. And so Michael sees him dancing in his tidy whiteies, and she is not having it. And she goes the way of her father. She pulls the heart of King Saul into herself. And it says she despised David in her heart. Verse 17, it says they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he then blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. It then says that he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went back to their homes. So David is filled with joy. He is so happy that the ark is back in the presence of the people so that they can regularly experience the presence of God. And David is so happy. He is having such a great day that he decides to have his own Oprah moment, right? He's like, and you get a loaf of bread, and you get a cake of dates, and you get a box of raisins, right? And I mean, he's just celebrating and sending people back to, guys, that was funnier. You you owe me more than that. You owe me more in that moment, okay? So, So he has his Oprah moment, you know, and they all go back to their houses, and David is having the day that he has always dreamed of having. He's out of the cave. He's the king of Israel. The ark is back in Jerusalem. He praised God the whole trip back. And then it says he goes home. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Michael is not enjoying this moment. Clearly, she has some feelings about David's behavior. I love that the scriptures don't even refer to her as David's wife. They refer to her as daughter of Saul because of how much she despised David in this moment. And, and, you know, he comes walking in, and she doesn't have like a, a little lob or a kind of like a warm-up pitch. or She doesn't even let him take his coat off. She doesn't even have a like, honey, how was your day? Right? I mean, she just goes after David. She lays into David the second he walks through the door. And I have heard... From other people, this is not a good way to greet your spouse at the end of the day. Don't know anything about that, but I've heard this is not the best way to do it. And David says to Michael, his wife, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I mean, David is not messing around, is he? And then he says this, which is perhaps one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible. He says, And I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. David says, Listen, lady, you want me to tell you where I learned how to worship? I learned how to worship in the caves. That's where I learned how to worship. And it was in those caves that I learned what it meant to live a life of praise. It was in those caves that I learned that it doesn't matter what you look like while you are glorifying God. It was in those caves that I actually developed the character that God put in me to know how to be the king of Israel. It was in those caves that I determined and I decided that I was going to live a life of undignified praise. And he just says to Michael, this is how it's going to be. And this is how it's going to be. So you see, what I believe David was saying to Michael was that if I cared about who was looking at me, then all I would care about is myself. But what I care about is who I am looking to. I don't care about who's looking at me while I worship. What I care about is who I am looking to. You see, pride and praise cannot coexist. Pride and praise cannot coexist. Pride always says, look at me, and praise says, look at God. And those two cannot coexist together because pride always produces an artificial life, and praise always produces an authentic, passionate life. And worship is never something that you can pretend to do. It is always a personal response to God. And you look at the difference between Saul and David. Saul was all about himself, wasn't he? He was all about pride. And David was all about looking to God. And I want to ask you today, when it comes to your life, who's winning these days? Your pride Or your praise? What is sitting on the throne of your life? Or maybe a better question, who? Who is sitting on the throne of your life? Has your life become all about you? All about what you want? What you desire? What you deserve? What you look like? Who you are impressing? How you are achieving? Or is your life about the praise of God? And all you have to do to answer that question is to look at what is coming out of your life. Because our lives always reflect what we are internally devoted to. Our lives always reflect what we are internally devoted to. What matters most to you is what is coming out of you. Just look at your relationships for a moment. Just look at that area of your life, the people that are most important to you. What would they say you value? Who would they say you value? And if you were to get really honest today, are you on the throne of praise or is God? Because worship is the external expression of my internal devotion, Worship is just the external expression of my internal devotion. And David got that, didn't he? Six steps into carrying the ark, and he's calling for the DJ. Not because they had experienced success. Not because his internal devotion to God was welling up so much that he didn't know what else to do. It was because he had set his life in that intention and direction, and it was all he knew to do. Was to praise. You see, I think a lot of us, when it comes to our worship, we are thinking that we have to take care of God's reputation. So that's why we look at a moment like David dancing in his linen ephod and we think, I don't think I want people to think that us Christians are those crazy people. Right. That we're the ones that sing and dance and raise our hands. I mean, we, we already have a few things that people don't like us about. So, so we, we better take care of God's reputation here. And I just want to say, have you seen yourself at a concert? <laughs> or have you seen yourself at your favorite sporting event? You looked a lot like David. David dancing and singing and clapping and raising your hands. Listen, God doesn't need you to take care of his reputation. People don't take care of God. God takes care of us, and that is why he is worthy of praise. Amen? Amen? And I wonder, I wonder why we are resistant to the one thing that will actually last forever. Worship is the thing that we will do forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in all of eternity. We get to worship. And so earth is just the practice. Earth is just the warm-up to what we get to do for eternity because worship is how I experience and express God's love. That's the amazing thing about worship is that we both experience and express in the same moment. When we express that God loves us, we experience that God loves us. When we express that God is faithful, we experience that God is faithful. When we express that God is in control, we actually get to experience that God is in control. When we express that God is good, we get to experience that God is good. And all the experiencing of God that I pray that takes place in this transformation center makes me think that what we most need to do is put big danger signs on the doors of this place just danger signs posted on every single door to this transformation center that says transformational worship is occurring within this building. Only enter if you are willing to get wrecked by the love of God. Because when you enter into the presence of God and you experience the presence of God, you cannot not be changed. Amen? And Soul City, my prayer for us, my prayer for us is that from this day forward, we would never worship the same. You see, if our worship isn't magnificent, then our gospel must be minuscule. And I don't know about you, but my gospel is not minuscule. My gospel is not minuscule, and therefore my worship is going to be magnificent to the one who has given his all for me. And worship is so transforming that it can open the eyes of people that don't want to see. It is so transforming it can open the ears of people that don't want to hear. It is so transforming that it can change relationships. You know what happens when you begin to worship God? Pride leaves the relationship and praise comes in so you can actually see one another. Come on, people. Get up in here with me today. This is what God does when we begin to praise him. And you're not going to stop. Come on. Keep coming with me. Keep coming with me. For those of you, when the bottom falls out, and I have been there, I have been with you when the bottom falls out and you don't have anything in you to lift your hand. You look to the person next to you and you say, you're gonna to have to lift it for me today. I don't got anything in me. I don't know if I can praise the Lord, but I know you can. Can you lift my hand for me? And friends, this is what God has called us to. And my prayer for us, Soul City Church, is that we would be one of the most undignified places of worship on planet earth that when people know us and see us and experience us, they say, I don't know what God is doing there, but there are some people that are some undignified worshipers. And I have got to believe that putting our lives in the flow of the river, that putting our lives in the flow of undignified worship is going to change us from the inside out. And the person that taught me how to do this most is my dear friend, Jeremiah Dervin. He taught me what a life looks like when it is in the flow of undignified worship. When I first met Jeremiah, he used to say to me, that's what's up. That's what's up. And and, and I thought that it was like this special greeting just for me. I thought it was so special. And I thought, gosh, he's got a greeting for me. And then I started watching him greet other people, and he said the same thing. And I realized I was not so special. It was just what he said to everyone. That's what's up. That's what's up. You know, people have been asking me since we've moved into this new space, what's your your favorite part of the transformation center? You know my most favorite part of the transformation center in the green room where the band prays and they um, worship and they center their hearts to come out here and lead all of us into the presence of God just got a little thing that says that's what's up and you know I used to just think it was Jeremiah's phrase I used to just think it was his greeting and then I started realizing more that he was actually teaching us every time he said that's what's up because he was teaching us to look up He was teaching us to lift our eyes. He was teaching us to put our being in direction, in intention of a life of praise. To rid pride from the equation and to put ourselves in the flow of praise. And he was saying that's what's up. Because that's where a life of worship grows. Is when you look up. And so Soul City, I want to invite us into the most undignified of worship today, no linen ephods, but I wanna invite us into the most undignified worship. That you would set your heart's intention to glorify God and to praise God. You know, one of the, the ways that that has most shifted and transformed my life actually isn't even in singing, it's through giving as I have set my heart in the intention of generosity, God has actually grown me as a worshiper. As I begin to see that everything that I have is from the Lord. And so I get to give that back to God in praise. So generosity has actually grown me as a worshiper. Giving back to God has grown me as a worshiper. And before we move into worship, we're going to do that. We always say this is a time of worship for us. So we're going to give back to God. And then we are going to move into a space of worship that I pray will be unlike any worship you have ever experienced as if you are on heaven's shore in the presence of Jesus, praising his name. So God, thank you what we see in the life of David. Thank you for what we see in the life of our brother Jeremiah who taught us how to worship with our whole hearts. And Jesus, this is our prayer for Soul City Church that we would become even more undignified in our praise that we could not hold back all of our love and devotion because you have never held back on us we love you and we praise you out of the fullness of who we are today it is in the name of jesus that i pray